Nothing discussed with Dr. Conrad Moreno in this conversation is meant to diagnose or treat any condition, or takes the place of talking with your own healthcare professionals. Well, aloha, everyone, and welcome to another conversation from anxiety to clarity. I'm Beth Ann Kozlovich from Sutter Health Kahimohala. This project is a combined effort of Kahimohala and Brain Gain Hawaii, courtesy of Evan Leung, and especially Coco Leung, who is recording these conversations for us. It's our hope that in having these informal conversations with mental health professionals across Hawaii, that all of us are getting some insights into what life is like living with COVID-19 and how we can do it better, commiserate with each other, understand what's happening from different perspectives, and, and be able to do whatever comes next. As far as where we are this week, well, we thought, we thought last week was bad. This past week was incredibly difficult as we watched three-digit caseload numbers happen almost daily, and uh, we went over 200 for the first time ever. And we also, because of all of that, that uh, led the governor and Mayor Caldwell to uh, roll us back a little bit in what we've been able to do. So inter-island travel for people coming from Oahu to the neighbor islands now has a mandatory quarantine reinstated. And for those of us who are on Oahu parks and campgrounds and beaches and so many places where people have been gathering leading to these great numbers that we've seen, well, all those parks and places are closed as well as bowling alleys and and other places where people can congregate. There are some things that are still open and I'm sure you've checked into it by now if you're concerned about getting a haircut or going to the gym. Some of those things have stayed open because they can be well-regulated in terms of the number of people coming in. But group classes, anything that brings people close together, well, those are out. And people have been asked to keep gatherings at home or outdoors to under 10 people from hopefully the, the same household. That's just a thumbnail sketch. But that's where we are. And because of that, and because of the great fatigue, we wanted to see what's happening within a community that often finds itself far more marginalized. People who are living on the street, people who have to come into the health centers for whatever reason because of, of their conditions and how that's being managed during this time of COVID-19. So today we're going to have Dr. Conrad Moreno Jonas. He's the Behavioral Health Director at Waikiki Health Center, and we're very happy that he could make some time on this Saturday morning to, to talk. Good morning, Conrad. Good to see you. Good morning. You. Good to see you as well. Thank you. you know, I just gave a, kind of a thumbnail sketch of, of where we are in this mm-hmm. week, but I can imagine that for the populations that you serve, a lot of which you know, comes out of the houseless community, and for those who have lost jobs and for those who maybe didn't have jobs to begin with but need to have health care, that you've seen quite an uptick in, in the numbers of people that you are serving. Would that be true? Um, yes, I think that is true. Um, we've been seeing an uptick, uh, I would say, of the population that uh, we've been serving over time. So those maybe who are lost to care in the past, um, those um, who are currently in care, but maybe we've seen an uptick as far as the severity of their depression or severity of their anxiety. Um, as far as seeing new people, as, as kind of what we're expecting over time to see more of a, a wave of people over time, um, we haven't necessarily seen that yet. 
Uh, I think more so because of the fact that uh, people are still in this reactive phase, I would say. Mm. Um, and so things haven't gotten to a place where um, they are able to kind of take a step back and realize, hey, you know what, maybe I could benefit from coming in. Um, and so that's, that's been something that I think will change over time. Um, as you're pointing out right now, uh, we re we've had a recent increase as far as cases go. And so I think people are, once again, kind of getting into this reactive place. Um, and when people get into a reactive place, they don't necessarily seek mental health care right away. Um, and so contrary to what we might think as far as new patients coming in, we've seen some increase, but not to the extent I would say from the general population and I think a big part of that might be because of the fact that people are still receiving funds to a certain level right um, and they're basically looking at you know what am I going to do to pay the next bill the next rent and so again they're still in this reactive fight-or-flight response um, and so they may not be thinking about coming in at this point in time but I think over time we'll, we'll, we'll see them trickle in. Knowing that we have so many people who have been affected by COVID-19 in one way or another. I don't think anyone has not been affected. Um, the severity of which may, may differ, but everybody is dealing with this. We're all dealing with it together, but we're all dealing with it in somewhat different ways. And you mentioned you know, this reactive phase. How long do you expect that to, to continue given the fact that we now have a, a, a semi-lockdown uh, or at least rollback that's going to take us through the month of August and into very early September. Do you think that this is going to be the way people will approach this next month or, or that's, that has a certain curve to the reactive phase? You know, that's really hard to say. Um, this whole situation is very fluid as we've been experiencing, you know, um, there's no playbook at this point in time and, and how to handle a pandemic. I mean, when's the last time anybody could actually say they, they dealt with a pandemic in their lifetime or, you know, at least, in, at least in the U.S. I Never. Say. Yeah, <laughs> Never exactly. Here, right. right, exactly. And, and I think Hawaii um, is different in many ways, too, from the rest of the mainland because we're separated um, from um, the rest of the states that might be experiencing uh, an increase. So I think, you know, I think over time, again, um, as things progress and, and as we're expecting things will progress as far as uh, numbers go up, um, I think what we're going to see is kind of a recurrence of what we saw initially, where people um, are going to be staying home more. I think the difference, though, is that people are actually already connected with services on some end, whether mm -hmm. it be through telehealth. Um, and I think that's something that's different. I think we're a little bit more prepared with this uptick right now in the sense that everybody's connected more so as far as health centers um, and patients are aware that that's an option available to them. Um, so burrowing in a little bit more, just staying at home and being able to connect virtually to services that maybe they hadn't connected with, certainly not virtually before the pandemic and not feeling as disconnected perhaps when they are still isolating the way that we did early on. Is, is that what I'm hearing you say? Right. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, again, I, I want to speak for the population who have been engaged in services because I think there is a, a larger group of people at the same time who haven't yet engaged in services. And um, again, I think people are still gonna be remaining that reactive place. You know, people are at this higher arousal level. And now 
we can't necessarily say that's um, a maladaptive response, can we? I mean, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, the difference as a healthcare provider, um, as all healthcare providers, we are also experiencing the same stressor at the same time. Um, and so we know from a professional as well as a personal level, hey, you know what, your response is normal to a certain extent. Okay, I mean, your response to stay home, it is something that you need to do on some level to stay safe, um, especially as things get worse. Um, and so finding that balance between, I think that's the challenge, is finding that balance of what you need to do to stay safe, um, as well as what you need to do to stay um, balanced as far as your mood goes, as far as how you handle things. Um, and I think that's, that's the thing that I think people are slowly coming about and understanding. Staying safe for the population which has been houseless for quite a while is a daily occurrence. Mm -hmm. Does that make them more easily, or does that make this more uh, easy for them? Let me, let me rephrase that, get words out of my mouth. Is it easier for people who have been dealing with the issues of safety on a daily basis to now be dealing with COVID and the stressors and the safety issues that some of us who may be encountering these kinds of things for the very first time on a relative scale may, may be feeling? I'm, I'm just wondering how you see the adaptability and, and the reactions to this based on the population that you normally serve. Right, and so I would definitely say that there has been an increase in as far as your anxiety goes. Um, you, you may have noticed perhaps there's maybe less of those are notable as being homeless. And I think part of it's because there's been a lot of efforts put into housing um, the homeless as part of our efforts in, again, uh, managing the spread of this virus. Um, and so people are getting in some forms of shelter, but of course there are those who don't wanna go into shelter. Um, and whether it be because of um, mental illness, as far as not being aware of what's happening, um, whether it be because they're paranoid to begin with um, because of illness, um, or whether it be just because they don't wanna be housed in a large group of people um, where they may actually um, get the virus or whatever else. Um, but I think in general, I think people are always um, afraid of being on, on the street because again, they're susceptible to, to um, being harmed, they're susceptible to things being taken from them. Um, but in, the consensus I've been getting is that um, there is um, the threats there, but at the same time, not necessarily notably higher, I would say, in that respect. Um, yeah. When you now talk to people and they come in to see you, if they can still come in to see you, how do you stay in contact with them if they don't have a phone or if they can't you know, access technology in some way so they can't do telehealth? How, how do you maintain that that you know, patient-doctor relationship if mm -hmm. there can't be regular check-ins? Or do they right. have to come check in at Waikiki Health still? Yes, that, of course, that, is, that has definitely always been the challenge, actually. Um, even with telehealth rolling out, right, there's still um, the concerns of them not having uh, to be connected. Um, I, I find that actually a lot of our homeless population actually do have some a phone or have something to a certain extent. Um, but for those who don't, what we've noticed is, you know, 
they've been more people actually hang around the clinic at times. Um, mm. And so for myself, if I'm walking outside, I'm walking um, Luna, walking uh, my dog, and I will see uh, a patient, somebody I know, I'll engage with them and check in with them and see how they're doing. Um, and so kind of, kind of just off the cuff and trying to get them to maybe come in um, at this point in time. We don't have necessarily a room set up to do virtual health where a patient comes in and can use use that type of technology. There are other health centers that actually have set up uh, a virtual health room where for those who don't have that are able to do so. Um, but that is something that some health centers are actually doing for those patients. Um, as well as outreach too, you know, we, we, we do outreach at times and we check in with the patients as we see them. Uh, providing whether it be medical care while at the same time checking in with their mental health care as well. Are outreach workers feeling that they are even more overwhelmed now that they're coping with COVID as well as everything else that they were encountering on the street? Um, you know, this is the great thing about, I think, our, our staff. I think just in general healthcare, I mean, we're all in this for a reason. We're all in this to help people. and. Um, from what I've seen, I have not seen them necessarily extra worried or extra concerned. Now, uh, I'm not checking in with each one of them. Of course, um, there might be some things maybe happening as we all are experiencing maybe at home or wherever else. Um, but not that I've seen in some in the respect of them being extra worried or extra concerned. Um, more so, they're more extra worried and concerned about the patients out there from what I've seen. Sounds like people who are, are true healthcare workers, because that seems to be what everyone feels to a, to a person that I've talked to, that it's all about how do we serve, how do we make this better, how do we improve conditions for the people that we serve. Yet there is still the myth, and I'll call it that for the moment, that somehow if this thing spreads rampantly, it's going to be coming through you know, the houseless population, people who are migratory, people who are in connection with each other in, in very close quarters at some time. That doesn't seem to be borne out though by, by reality from those that we've talked to. Are you also hearing that really we're not seeing this great spread of COVID within the houseless community? Yeah, I, I, haven't, I haven't seen it at this point in time. Um, and part of it might be due to the efforts I think that a lot of shelters might be putting in place, for instance, you know, our shelters, we actually have, for instance, one of ours at KOHO, we actually have a, um, a scanner of sorts, you know, where you basically, it's at the entrance where you walk in and it takes your temperature. Uh, so every person that's coming in, as well as staff, are being scanned in that way to make sure that there's at least a temperature taken, um, and as well as some screening questions. Um, so I think people, I think because due to the efforts that people are taking, I think we've been, we've been okay. And I think, the other thing you mentioned is migratory. So I think we've been seeing less people coming into the states who may, as we call them, we call them um, kind of shorebirds or in some sense they're migratory. They come and, they come and go at certain points of the season. Um, we haven't really been seeing those people come in necessarily because why? Because they can't, um, you know, our state as, you know, as we know, unless they actually had a residence to set up to be going to they really um, they were sent back in many ways um, and so we haven't really been seeing people coming and going in that way so I think our the our our houseless population has been kind of I would say stagnant in the sense of the, the number 
and the people coming and going, I think all of that's been kind of put to a standstill, which I think has helped with controlling uh, our COVID rates. As you look out where we are today, as we're on this Saturday morning on the 8th of August, looking out at what may happen in this next week and within the rest of the month and into September and as we march through 2020, what concerns you the most? Um, what concerns me the most right now it would be the fact that um, people not coming in soon enough um, in the sense that things are building up right now. And um, as they build, uh, there may be at some point where they may hold off in coming in. And, and, and part of it might be because of not having insurance. Um, people are just in transitional place right now in the sense that they may have just lost their jobs um, or again, finances have stopped coming in to a certain extent. Now they might be eligible for Medicaid. Now they might be able to feel like they can come in and get help. Um, and so the concern I have is that again, people kind of just holding off from coming and getting care that they need. Uh, one of the things that we find when it comes to preventing post-traumatic stress disorder, for instance, um, is that the sooner somebody comes in, um, the less likelihood of them developing um, some kind of trauma um, in some respects. And so that's one of the concerns I have. Um, the other concern I have is actually for healthcare providers. I think, you know, to a certain extent, we've heard people talk about them, but I think there, it's a large population of, of people right now, some of who've lost their lives, some of who are constantly um, in danger or at risk, higher risk, I should say. Um, I, and um, I've had experience treating a lot of healthcare providers. And so the concern, for a lot of, for, for myself, for them, is that oftentimes as healthcare providers, we don't put ourselves in a place for, to receive help. And so that's the other concern I have for, um, for, that, for that population of people where they may hold off and coming in uh, as well. Um, you know, I think as, a, as the fact that health, mental health, we've actually in Hawaii, especially, we become more aware of the importance of it. Um, and so my hope is that it, it, they won't hold off as much as coming in, um, but it, it's, it really is hard to say at this point in time, but I would say that's probably one of my biggest concerns um, is that and then isolation and the impact of that. Um, and so um, people over time disconnecting and staying disconnected. Uh, and so that wave I was talking about earlier is um, I think slowly building and hasn't crested over yet. Um, again, as fluid as things are, um, and as protected as Hawaii has been up to this point, um, we may see that rise over time as that population grows. Earlier on in this series, that was very much a part of the conversation, the coming wave of mental health needs. And you know, those people who hadn't ever sought mental health care, but who would realize that they would need it. A lot of you know, first responders, a lot of people who were dealing with their work lives and their home lives in one space, people who were feeling hemmed in, great, you know, the whole business about COVID fatigue, all of this happening and building and building and building. And then there seemed to be like a relief valve 
when, when summer approached and whether it was the summer mentality or the fact that people felt freer because of the mm-hmm. very low caseload that we had, um, that they would go out and have parties and do all the things for which we are now you know, paying dearly uh, in, in many cases. That seemed to be a relief. And then there was this, as we saw the cases rise again, that sense of building, building, building to that wave. And I think you're right. We certainly haven't crested and, and it may be a little while before we do. Do you think we've got the real capacity to be able to deal with that kind of wave in Hawaii? I believe we do, actually. Um, we have a good number of fellow qualified health centers. We have a good number of mental health resources available, whether it be through the state, whether it be through private. Um, and I think um, because, again, of our awareness, um, of mental health and the importance of it, I believe we do have the ability to handle it. Um, again, it depends to what extent, how quickly that wave presses over and how, how over a period of time uh, does it travel, right, uh, in that sense. Um, you know, just like with COVID, you know, uh, the biggest concern we have is our healthcare system being overwhelmed, right, as far as everybody coming at the same time. Capacity, exactly. Uh, capacity exactly um i believe we we have the ability to 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 meet the capacity i think the only area that we might have a challenge probably would be maybe in our uh, substance abuse um uh, programs i mean because that already was was hard to uh, meet the need i would say um that that, i think that's one of the bigger challenges is uh, maybe substance abuse as that evolves over time Let's talk about that for a second, because as we saw earlier on in the spring, there were you know, sales of, of alcohol and alcohol products that were increasing. Uh, there were just sort of lots of snide com- conversations and, and, and comments, but well, I'll just have a home and have a drink and I'll drink my way right. through. I mean, we we're hearing all kinds of things that yeah. I think people meant to be funny, but mm-hmm. uh, you're looking at it through you know, the lens of, of substance abuse wasn't all that funny, especially for people who may have already had a problem and were seeking other ways to, you know, continue to do what they were doing and now had another, in their mind, good reason to do it. Mm-hmm. So how do you think we, we can go forward with that if this is really going to be a problematic area for us? Mm-hmm. As far as, um, just for clarification, as far as how can we go about Meet, meeting that capacity, the meeting, yeah, meeting, meeting, meeting that need as that is increasing, mm-hmm. or that right. seems to be the area we might have the least ability to to meet needs. How mm-hmm. can we restructure as we're looking at so much of of how we're doing differently? What would you like to see? Um, what I'd like to see um, is, as far as the for the substance abuse programs. Um, um, yeah, I, you know, I'll be honest with you, I think that's going to be a hard one, to be honest with you, for the inpatient population. Um, I would say for the outpatient, I think we're going to have to actually be treating quite a bit of people on a level of not necessarily programs, but maybe on an outpatient level for individual treatment for a period of time. I think we're going to have to hold people at a certain place and for, um, provide them with the care they need to the best we can until we can maybe get them into a, a program, I would say. Um, right. Saying yeah, that they will I, actually do it because you're talking about adults, not kids, right. and adults have to want to do what, what they want to do. And right. uh, you know, some of the other things that have through the wind that, that I hear people say, particularly when it has to do with substance abuse, is that they're a lot less charitable about people who are dealing with substance abuse 
than they would say with someone who is dealing with a mental illness because, well, that's not their fault. Uh, as if there's some matter, uh, measure of choice in all this because people don't seem to understand what happens with an addictive brain. How do we change that within the general population in the way, say, we changed how people thought about smoking or how they thought about a number of things that they thought were okay uh, for some people, but then terrible for others and getting very you know, judgy about the whole thing and judgmental. Mm -hmm. Uh, when very clearly science is telling us a lot about what the addictive brain does and how it, it perceives things in the way that uh, someone who does not have an addictive brain would not. Yeah, um, you know, as you said earlier, people were, like you said, buying more alcohol, whatever else. Um, you know, I, I think in the pandemic, because it's affected so, it pretty much affected everybody, everybody to a certain extent, you know, um, may have thought of, you know, having a drink here, having a drink there, and some, on some level, not everybody, but I think um, perhaps communication, talking about it more, and how stress has been impacting us, and that being one of the ways um, where people might seek uh, some sense of um, relief, and I think that's one thing we can all connect with right now, is that we're constantly looking for ways to have some sense of relief, especially with all the with all the restrictions that we have, um, and so, you know, I think just continuing to have dialogue and talking about about you know substance abuse being one of the ways in which people could be possibly coping with everything in silence, because uh, all of it's done typically within silence, especially now with the isolation that everybody's going through, um, you know, and as far as again um, upping our our approaches, or our efforts in assessing more for it, um, as far as a healthcare provider, whether it be primary care, when you know most people are going to come in to see their medical doctor um, first, they're not going to necessarily go and seek a psychologist or a psychiatrist. That's not typically how it works, and that's part of the reason why we're integrated at what we health, because we know that. And so I think the family physician being aware of you know you know there's you know, some medical in issues going on here, you're having more upset stomachs or, you know, it's, you know, more acid reflux, whatever else, you know, is there something different that you're doing? And so connecting the medical also and asking the questions of, hey, you know, is there something happening right now psychologically um, and detecting and identifying it quicker. Um, and, and that's the thing I think might be different for us is that we're kind of going into the situation as mental providers with our eyes open more so than I think any other time. Um, you know, uh, with 9-11 happening, um, it being somewhat similar, I think we understand how anxiety builds over time. We understand how people um, look to for some sense of relief um, and how that might go about, how that might manifest sometimes as substance abuse. Um, so, yeah. And for the general population, um, you know, we've gotten messaging about all kinds of things over time, but is there something that you'd like to see happen with the general population to better understand all of the things that we've been talking about? As far as um, happening with the general population, what I'd like to I'm see sorry. them, yeah. yeah. Yeah, in terms of all the things that we've been talking about concerning substance abuse and mm -hmm. what that means and some of the things that you, know, you think may be coming down the pike and just an awareness of it at a different level than we've had previously and, and certainly uh, you know, pre-COVID. 
Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so um, I think the key thing is connecting, staying connected, um, I think is, a, is what I like to see a lot of people continue to do um, and continue building on. That's one of the central things that I often have a conversation with and, and with my patients about is, you know, how do I stay connected, right, um, within the means that we have. And I think a lot of, of our anxiety is built upon um, not recognizing what we have control over versus what we don't have control over. And so we create this big mass amount of anxiety uh, things that uh, we're trying to control that we absolutely, no one has any ability to control. And so recognizing operating within your means and then also staying connected because addiction is about disconnecting. Um, when, we, when we talk about addiction, about finding relief, it's about disconnecting uh, from ourselves, from, from whatever stresses we're dealing with, with people. Um, and that's the big one with people right now. Um, and so continuing to, I think, accept the, um, for instance, what we're doing right now, video conferencing. Um, this is kind of the way of life right now. I think there's a certain extent when we have to realize that this is part of the mainstream communicating for now. Um, and so utilizing it in that way. What you just said a moment ago about substance abuse is about disconnection. I mean, that as a messaging piece alone is something mm -hmm. that I don't think is greatly out there in the public sphere. Mm -hmm. People don't really have those ideas about mm -hmm. some of the things that, that you see, certainly um, COVID or, or no COVID. And given the fact that we know that's gonna be, as you said earlier in our conversation, a real area uh, where we're gonna have to, to see a lot more attention paid to it and mm -hmm. might not necessarily have the, the, the capacity to do it in, in that way. Right. Um, you know, with, with treatment centers, et cetera, because, you know, there are just a certain number of beds and there's a certain mm -hmm. amount of people who can be treated for a certain amount of time and that's, that's rolling, but um, we have a lot facing us. How do you personally handle this on a day-to-day -day basis so that you can give your patients the best that you can offer them and also uh, keep control of your own life? Mm -hmm. Good question. I, um, I think the key thing for me has been having structure, uh, regardless of what's happening in my life. Um, you know, as far as, you know, going to bed at the same time, waking up at the same time, um, putting those things in place, uh, exercising. Um, I might have mentioned earlier that I have a, I actually have a whippet puppy, so I've been doing a lot, taking a lot more walks, <laughs> I should say. And so that has been um, a form of relief. And I think moving i think a lot of times we we've been sitting so still for such a long period of time and so from what i found is that moving has um helped uh it helped it helped me from not being stuck in my head uh and it helps me to see things um again on a more fluid level um be able to have a change in scenery to recognize that you know what there's more to life than just um going to work there's more to life than just what everybody else is going through um you know um so again constantly changing the scenery staying connected with my own family with my own friends um we have birthdays and times with my family and so we've actually uh set up a time where we meet telehealth wise and not tell but to, through audiovisual through zoom or whatever else and have big big gatherings i should say of zoom meetings <laughs> you know 20 people sometimes on zoom and all family and we're just talking and sharing stories and connecting and joking and laughing. And um, I think that's been really helpful uh, in many ways. Yeah. 
Well, I hope that it continues for you because the rest of the world that we know, particularly at Waikiki Health Center, needs you in tip-top shape and you need to be that for your own life. And that little puppy needs you too. Yeah. She's adorable. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much yeah. for the time that you've been willing to spend with us this morning. And I wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Conrad Moreno, Behavioral Health Director of the Waikiki Health Center. And for those of you who joined us this morning, I hope you'll plan to join us again as we have another conversation to take us from anxiety to clarity. And if there's something that you particularly want to talk about or feel that we should cover, send me an email. My email is kozlovb at sutterhealth.org. And we'll get you an answer to a question or we'll cover a topic that you'd like to hear us cover for our very informal Saturday morning web chats as we all are looking to get some way to take us through all of this anxiety and get to a point of clarity. I'm Beth Ann Kozlovich. We'll see you next time. Aloha.